0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. uh, Sitting on that side of the aisle, if you would uh, grab the black notebook and pass that down if you're visiting with us, it's a great place to let us know. That You are here um, on top of the uh, uh, ground coffee that we'd love for you to have. Uh, We'd also love to send you a note to say thanks for being here, and uh, that's a way for us to be able uh, to do that. And also, if there are ways that we can uh, pray for you and pray with you, um, that's a place to let us know. We do that every week as pastors and as elders, and it's um, a great privilege for us to know how to pray for you, and so um, that's a place that you can let us know how to do that. Uh, My name is Ross. I'm the senior pastor here at Bethel and have the opportunity to be here on the South Campus most Sundays, and if you've got your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. We started last week um, a series that we're going to look at this summer called The Pursuit of Wisdom, where we are looking at the wisdom literature in the, uh, in the Bible, and we are taking some themes from the wisdom literature this summer. And so last week we looked at wisdom of words, and, and this week we're going to pick up another theme. And so to begin uh, this morning, I want to kind of remind us or, or set up a little more of Proverbs um, by way of introduction. So in Proverbs, here in Proverbs chapter 6, a couple of chapters over, the beginning of Proverbs chapter 8, we see kind of how wisdom how wisdom works and and what wisdom does as it calls to us. And so the beginning of Proverbs chapter 8, this is what we hear. This is is what it says. Um, It says this, Proverbs chapter 8, 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not uh, understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, besides the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, "To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man." the The sage here, the the writer of Proverbs, is personified wisdom, and wisdom is this is this woman, this wise woman that cries out and, and wants to be heard, tries to get our attention, seeks to impart to us an instruction and in, in her her ways, and so. We want to be hearers of what wisdom has. We want wisdom to get our attention. That's the aim this summer. One definition of a proverb goes like this. They're short sentences founded upon long experiences containing truth. I think that's a great way to put it. It accurately describes it. Recurring patterns of stories... Uh, they give rise to short sentence that tend to, be, to wrap up the truth of the narrative in a memorable phrase or a line. So, so the experience, the story, the, the truth of it can be, can be boiled down to a phrase. And that's what the Proverbs do so eloquently. And the Proverbs, as we have them here in our Bible, they are for those who have faith and they're they're given to us as wisdom for how to live our faith in the midst of mundane and trivial moments of our life I mean we usually think about wisdom as it being for moments of you know so the the mega moments of our life I mean the big decisions that the big moments, those big milestones in life. But the Proverbs come along and they say, no, no, listen, wisdom's for that, but wisdom's also for this. It's for all the micro moments. It's for all the many decisions, the many steps, the the many twists and turns that you'll make throughout the day. All the days that were ordained for you. All the moments of every day that were ordained. You know, the, the reality is, all the days ordained for you, many of which... You'll forget as they come and go, but God never forgets. Wisdom for those moments. Well, last week, we looked at the theme of words, the the wisdom of words. What we say, what we don't say, what we hear and don't hear, uh, how we influence, what we're influenced by. And one of the things I realized last week is that as we look at each of these themes... We may be able to do little more than just open the door to a theme, you know, kind of crack it open, and it and it, um, you know, it, it pique our interest, or, or the Lord, the Spirit of God will come in and say, "Oh, okay, this is something that 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 grabs our attention." But the truth is, we won't be able to exhaust any of these themes in any one week. But I think what is helpful to remind ourselves is that. As we look at these themes throughout the wisdom literature, one, we can be reminded that the Bible is intensely and intimately practical. That it, The Bible touches on things that, that intersect with our everyday life. It also can remind us that the Bible is the first place to go with the very difficult things in our life. It's the first place that we can go with the very difficult things in our life, that we can go to God's Word we can go to God in prayer because the Spirit of God resides in us and dwells us, prays with us and for us. And it also reminds us that the that the Bible is meant to bend our thinking. That we don't bend the Bible to, to the way that we think. And so that when we, we pick up a book or we read an author or we, we seek counsel, we, we are looking for the that or that author or the council to help us in understanding god's word believing trusting that god will guide us through his word that that, that he's given us what we need for life and, and godliness and that sometimes what happens is i think when things come up so, so problems come up or, or situations arise or, or a crisis happens i mean we go straight to a solution or we go straight to see the the crisis resolved or or the, or the tension relieved or, or, or a solution found. But we can be reminded that as believers, our first priority as believers is to stop and think, okay, wait a minute. As a believer here, I can stop and think, hey, wait a minute. What does God have to say about this? Why is this a problem? Why is this a crisis? Why is this a tension? What's underneath? What's going on here. See, if a crisis comes, or and I only seek relief, we miss seeking God in the midst of the crisis. We, we, we miss the wisdom. We, we've missed wisdom's call. So I say all that to say some of us, maybe we'll only just open the door to some of these themes. Very practical, very real, very intimate, very right now themes of our life, but we won't exhaust them. And in these weeks, you may hear wisdom's call to some very specific area of your life or areas of your life. I hope you do. Places that you've been seeking solutions, but you've been missing the Savior in the midst of it. And so this week, we turn to another theme. And this this morning's theme is actually an interesting theme, and the sage will will address the theme from many different angles throughout the Proverbs in a couple of different ways. And one of the ways that he's going to address the theme is he's going to address a particular individual or type of individual, And, and maybe another way to say it is he's actually going to address every one of us in a certain way, or at least a... A tendency in every one of us, a temptation, a, a natural bent in all of us. And if left unchecked, every one of us has the capacity to wear the name tag that we hear this morning. So, so there's different, several different types of people that are addressed in the, in the Proverbs. Often, they're contrasted with each other for teaching purposes. So, so for in, instance, there's the, the wise and the fool in the Proverbs. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. There's, you know, this is the wicked person that's referred to throughout. There's, there's the drunkard, the glutton, the poor, the prideful, the adulterer, the enemy, the, the coward. Sometimes you have the humble, the friend, the, the servant, the ruler, the, the, the craftsman, the leader. You have fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, and kings and neighbors, soldiers. And one thing that the sage continues to bring up. Throughout the Proverbs is a contrast between those who work and those who don't work. Those who work and those who are lazy. And in fact, he'll address those he's seeking to instruct by name. He calls them a sluggard. In fact, in a couple of places, he'll refer to him as the slothful. And if you grew up in the Catholic Church, the sloth, you'll recognize as one of the seven Deadly sins. The sage will refer to the sluggard by name fourteen times in the Proverbs. The word literally means sluggish or lazy or, or slow, or sometimes someone who who's idle with their time, their hands, their talents, their their gifts. That they don't they don't plan. You, you find in the Proverbs they sleep too much. That they're wise in their own eyes. They don't take anybody's advice. They procrastinate. They're paralyzed by fear. They exaggerate obstacles. They bring ruin upon themselves, ruin upon their families. They're susceptible to all kinds of foolishness, bad decisions, temptations, evil pathways. They're contrasted with the wise person, an industrious person, a righteous person, a diligent person, one who's prudent and has sense, is generous, teachable. They're contrasted with a person who has bread on their table. So, what exactly is a sluggard? What what is this laziness? I mean, I know what it is in practice. I mean, if not technically defined, but what does it say here in the Bible about it? What's laziness as the Bible looks upon one's life and manner? Well, listen to how it's contrasted. Between the sluggard and the diligent, for instance. Listen to some of these verses. In Proverbs chapter 10, it says this. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 12. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 13, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 15, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Proverbs 19, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 20, the sluggard does not plow in the in the autumn, he will seek at the harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 22 did, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 26 says this The sluggard says that there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the street. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, it wears him out to bring it back to its mouth, to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Proverbs twenty-seven says this whoever tends his fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master will be honored. Do you hear the, the contrast in that? There's one who's diligent. There's one who's not. Well, here in Proverbs chapter 6, it's it's actually familiar to you. Likely, you've heard it, and you've heard it for no other reason than the imagery that the sage employs. Because he uses the illustration of the ant of all things. In Proverbs chapter 6, and this is the passage we'll look at this morning, Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, this is the way that the writer of Proverbs instructs the hearer. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler... She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. interesting. Also, if you went to Proverbs chapter 24, towards the end of Proverbs, beginning verse 30, you'll find a passage that's very parallel to this one. A couple of notes about this real quick. The kind of sleep that the sluggard is given to here, it isn't the same kind of rest that's meant to be a blessing. So, so life is supposed to be a rhythm. That they're supposed to be working, feasting, resting. Well, we're supposed to engage in all of those things. There's a there's a time for rest, a place for rest. In fact, in fact we're commanded to rest. We need rest. I and mean, God's designed our, our bodies and the rhythm of a day and, and seasons. That I mean, you know, a fourth of our life, a third of our life will be spent sleeping. We can't help that. We we're commanded to do it. That's the way we're built. It's not that kind of rest. Secondly, the poverty of the sluggard here is different than the poverty of the poor. Okay, the the sage here, the writer of Proverbs, he addresses that that in the community that there are those that are going to be poor, and, and in that kind of poverty, th- that's not a moral issue, that's not a character flaw. I mean, there is there is there are poor in a community. And sometimes it's due to tyranny. Sometimes it's due to circumstance beyond a person or a family's control. I mean, sometimes when it rains, it just pours. It just does. And the instruction to the wise and to the, and to the righteous and to the, and to the upright is to care for the poor, to provide for their needs. I mean, the, you must do that. But for the sluggard, there's no such instruction. The sluggard is not even worthy to be named among the poor. In fact, they give the poor a bad name. Wisdom instructs that what the sluggard needs more than the bread is they need to feel the pangs of hunger. That's what they need. So in Proverbs chapter 6, there's an illustration from creation the sage, he's going to appeal to created order. God's sovereign design is a pattern to be followed. And the brilliance of the design can be traced all the way down into the depths of the dirt. And into the anthill, we can go to see that God's design holds. So instead of a seminary classroom or a theology book, the sage takes the sluggard to the dirt, into the anthill. The evidence of God's design for creation can be found among the simplest of creatures. And when you observe what God has created, when you observe that, what God's created in, in its doing, what God has created them to do. Fulfilling their purpose. Being, being what they were created to do. What do, you, what do you find? You find them at work. So I, uh, this week, was doing some reading. And I read this guy. Uh, it's an old, old guy. I don't know, 100 years old, maybe, a guy. And he, and he did this study. On all of the ants in the Middle East, and he cataloged over a hundred. I know you're jealous. Uh, it's what you get to do in ministry. So he cataloged over a hundred ants in the Middle East. Okay, and he made this decision. And I mean, all the scholarships, like you know, I read people making all the, you know, It's like, yeah, this is the ant. I'm like, how did? Do, how does he know this? But he does. The the ant that the writer of Proverbs is probably talking about. And it's the ant that 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 likely is most akin to the ant that we have here in Texas. That when we go on a picnic and you, you know, lay down and you, you know, you have your picnic stuff and you fall asleep and all of a sudden, you know, there's things carrying your food off and biting your... That ant, that's the ant that's most likely. So we have... We have this great familiarity with this passage. And when you observe, when you get down into the dirt and you observe these ants doing what they were created to do, you find them at work. It shouldn't surprise us. Here's the thing. Being created for us, being created in the image of God, to, to reflect the image of God. As we look around at creation, we see the handiwork of what? A creator. A creator at work. W- William Temple, the, 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 the Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote, wrote this old book, uh, Christianity and Social Order. He, he wrote this and he said, hey, look at the Bible. Creation, consummation, incarnation, Resurrection. What do they all have in common? God with His hands in the dirt. And you might think, well, no, wait a minute. No, no, God's spirit. I mean, He's, He's not physical. He's not like us. He's not, He's not getting His hands dirty. He's not doing manual labor. I mean, that's, that's beneath God. And I would say, no. I mean, God loves the creation. He created it. Yes, He spoke it with the word. You know what that word is? The Word that became flesh, Jesus, who took on humanity, who even now is united with humanity for eternity to come. He was a carpenter and worked with his hands. We see God at work. Martin Luther said to sweep the street or to preach a sermon is to bring order out of chaos. Chaos. It's taking the material world that God loves and made and make it orderly and make it livable and redeeming it. Therefore, to sweep the street or to preach a sermon, both are valuable. They have value to God. So some of you, you leave leave your home, you go to a job, you have an employer. Some of you work in your home. You care for your home. You care for your children, your family. It's valuable. How do you order it? Bring the, bring the order from the chaos. Is, I would say that if you work in your home, you, you, this ever-increasing chaos, some of you, right? And then your husband comes home. And then it's like, you know, the darkness hovers over, right? When man was set in creation, set to work it and to, and to keep it, that's what we're created for. So to not work, to it's just to cut yourself off from what you're created for. To not work is to not flourish. It, it'll atrophy what you were created for. You won't flourish. So work's not a necessary evil. It's part of what we're designed for in, in the image of God. The second thing we notice here is that the ant is not in need of layers of motivation. The chief, the officer, the ruler, the ant's able to rule themselves, take care of themselves. Th- thinking past the cares of the day, Con- considering the needs of tomorrow, and then, and then addressing them soundly with a plan, and then executing the plan thinking through the comings and the goings of life, not caught by surprise, not naive to the realities that life's going to have ebbs and it's going to have flows. And it doesn't mean we don't have people that are, that are our bosses or that our jobs don't come with responsibilities, expectations set by others that we need to meet. What it means is that at our core, we have motivations that lie under the work we do, but both here... Proverbs 21, a couple of other places it speaks about this. Motivation is that our work is not only for us. We're not mercenaries. But more than personal profit, more than personal gain, more than looking good, we work, we were designed to work, we were created in the image of God to work. For how it benefits others, how it benefits those around us. If your idea of work is what is in it for me, you will have distorted what it is that you do. How is this benefiting others? That's uh, that's where you'll find satisfaction. You will need motivation. How is this benefiting others? That's where satisfaction comes. Now, let me talk about this third thing that shows up in this passage. And this is the sleep of the sluggard. This is not a sleep that restores. It's a sleep that retreats. It doesn't rejuvenate. It's a sleep that runs and hides from the world around it. to turning body and mind off in hopes that it'll all go away, escaping into dreams. It's a refusal to face life head-on, deal with what's at hand, press into the resistance of life. Instead, the sluggard has become an escape artist. Listen, it's not just the guy or the gal who who doesn't want to work at a job. I mean, the the sage is, is speaking wisdom down into our souls. There are all sorts of poverty, aren't there? I mean, there are people who are escaping their marriages. They're escaping parenting. They're escaping relationships. They're escaping the sin struggles that they have. They're escaping opportunities that are before them. There are people sabotaging themselves in the most unbelievable ways. A little sleep, a little slumber. Just turn it all off. Can't deal with it anymore. He's tired. It's not gonna do it anymore. Peace is what they want. Shalom. But escape is not the way. See, the sluggard tries to shortcut shalom with sleep. But wakes up having secured shame. That's the truth. Escape. and it may be that you're seeking escape because your life is totally out of sync. And you don't know what to do about it. You feel the tension of it, but you don't know what to do about it. That, that, that your life is completely out of sync. That, that, that you have a kind of God on Sunday kind of life. You know that, that, that the rest of the week you, you bought into the, the narrative of the world that every that every other message in the world is, is giving you. And, and, and you're buying that narrative and you're trying to make that narrative work. That this is what you pursue and this is what you're about and this is who you are and this is, this is what matters. And yet if you're a believer, and dwell by the Holy Spirit, you have affections that are different than that. And the Word is opened, and you hear that, and, and something else stirs in you. And the different narrative, and the deep calls to deep, and, and you hear that. And, and, and there's this great tension that can't be resolved. wisdom this summer. Maybe, maybe you'll hear something that calls to you this summer and say, yeah, i got to press into that. I've got I to press into that. You know what? That's where I am. And, and, and the, so we said at the beginning, listen, this isn't just wisdom for the mega moments of life. God means to call to us all the micro moments of our life, that, that wisdom, that that the faith, the the faith of of our salvation, that where we believed upon Jesus for salvation, that that faith, that faith gets lived out in all the moments and every day of our life. That it's that it's real all the time that wisdom lived out faith lived out that our lives would be synced up you know Haddon Robinson he said this about the, the Proverbs he's speaking about wisdom and he said that it's really great put it in like this little poem kind of a thing He said he, said, he called it the reverse screw he said there's a sense in which the Bible is kind of a reverse screw. Everything in culture that seems right comes out wrong in the Bible. The way up is the way down. The, the way to spiritual wealth is to acknowledge your spiritual poverty. The way to live is to die. The way to rule is to serve. It's like a reverse screw. It's, it's like a lizard in the king's palace. It's, it's incongruous. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe that's why you're seeking escape. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that your life's compartmentalized. Maybe it's this. Maybe maybe this morning you've given up hope. Maybe you've lived long enough to have your dreams dashed. Maybe maybe, maybe you, your plans hadn't turned out like you hoped they would. Maybe your life's just has been grinding you down. Maybe you thought you'd be further along than you are. Maybe you thought you'd have more to show for it than you do. Maybe you thought you'd be more significant. Maybe you thought, man, I had more, I thought I had more potential than this. And then you are maybe having to come to the realization that maybe you didn't. You've been kidding yourself all along. Maybe you sit here this morning and your failures overshadow your successes. But you just thought life life would be easier, and you wanted wanted peace. But now all you can do is escape. Or where you've gotten yourself. You've kind of given up on your marriage and you've escaped that, or you've given up in your job and you're escaping that in different ways. And maybe nobody knows but you or a relationship or in parenting or maybe in your just spiritual life. A little sleep, a little slum slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, hoping if I wake when I wake up, it'll all be, it'll all be better. But it's not. It says poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed. Now, for us, it's hard to maybe hard to imagine how that would have landed in the ancient world. They were they were always much closer to poverty than than we are. I mean, you miss a few meals in the ancient world, and you began to feel the real pangs of hunger. I mean, you you could go f- from a meal to To not eating for a few days, to near death in a a week in the ancient world. One one turn of a circumstance and you, your entire fortune will change. We have so much reserve, so much want, so much, we don't even know how much we. Is there hope for us? You know, here's the reality. Nobody wants to think of themselves as a sluggard, do they? I mean, we read it and we go, well, "Man, thank goodness! Thank goodness I'm not a sluggard." And if we were having some prayer time, I'd be the first to go, "Lord, thanks! I'm not a thank you. I'm not a sluggard." I know that person. They're, they're you know like 23, and they play video games in their parents' basements. No, we don't have any basements in Texas. That's where they are. Right? I mean, can't wait to get that prayer out of our mouth just to just to, you know, make sure everybody knows I'm not the sluggard. Truth is, God, it's convicting, isn't it? We all have those tendencies. I mean the writer of the Proverbs continues to bring it up because he knows something. He's there's a wisdom. He knows something about nature, doesn't he? I'll show you one more and then we'll be, be out of here. Proverbs 15, 19. Uh, John, I think I've got this. But look at what it says. The way of the sluggard is, is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Well, listen, I only need that verse to tell me which side of that, those two clauses I want to be on, right? I don't want to be the hedge of thorns. That sounds bad. The way of the upright, level highway. I like level highways. If, if I want to put on my tennis shoes and go walking outside of my house, I, I have a hill I have to deal with. We call in my family Death Hill. I mean, you have, I mean, it's fun to walk down, but, I mean, to walk down it, you've got to walk up it. I like level. If, we had, if it was level, I'd probably walk more, honestly, I'll tell you the truth. Level highways, we like that. And that's the way of the upright. And I, you know what? That's what I want to be, upright. That's what I choose. I'm all, I want, so upright. Now I know how to pray. Thank you that I'm not a sluggard and that I'm upright. Here's, here's the problem. Here's the question. Who's upright? Who is? Who gets to call themselves upright? Know what Paul says in Romans chapter 3? None of us are. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Some way we're all sluggards. And for all of us, our lot is a hedge of thorns. And then we come by it honestly. Goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It's after the fall, and God's there, and he meets Adam, and he And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For your dust, the dust you shall return to. Listen, the world's broken. It doesn't work like it's supposed to. We know it. The world knows it. The earth groans. It longs for the day of redemption, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So there's this pull. The world pulls towards chaos and towards disorder and towards frustration. So does our lives. It can be painful, full of toil, and can seem painful. Meaningless and frustrating. I open up Ecclesiastes. You know what it says? Meaninglessness. And frustration. And we want to escape. We just want to go to sleep. Because it's part of the curse we all feel. So is there any hope? Is there? Yes, there is. Here's the great news. You know what we did for 20 weeks before we did this Pursuit of Wisdom series? Anybody remember? I know you don't remember sermons. I pay Fritz to remember, though. You know what? Galatians. We did a series on Galatians. You know what's right in the middle of Galatians? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. You know what happened the night he died? put it they put a crown on his head you know what the crown was made of thorns and they drove it into his skull and they hung him on the cross and the curse fell on him and there he lay Did the work he came to do. You know what the work was? God made him sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He takes the thorny way. He takes the hedge of thorns so that we might become the upright. He takes the curse so we can be the righteous. Because He dies, He takes the thorns. We get the highway. We don't have to escape. We get rest is not just hope we'll, oh we get hope we will finally someday get rest it's not Christmas but you remember, the, you remember the, the, the verse in joy to the world no more let sins and sorrows grow we need to remind ourselves of that no more nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. At the end of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes an invitation. It is so. Matthew 11 begins this way. John the Baptist is in prison. He'll never be released. Well, the way he's released is he is he's separated from his head. That's how he gets out. And he's there and he's discouraged. And he sends his disciples a long distance to ask Jesus. Jesus, are you the one? Because today, in this moment, it doesn't feel like it. To which Jesus sends his disciples back to say, yes, John. And then Jesus turns to the crowd that he's with, and man, he begins to speak so lovingly about his cousin John. And then Jesus prays. In the end of that prayer, Jesus says this. Come to me. All who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Rest is what you're after. Many of you, you're choosing escape and rest is what you're after. He's come, he's taken the curse. All those things you feel. It found you paralyzed, laying in the bed, swinging in the, over and over like a door on the hinges. And Christ says, "Get up, rise, come to me." He's become the curse. We get the righteousness. We get the rest. That's the. Some are sluggard in their work. Some are sluggard in their life. Some are sluggard in their soul. We were created for more. And as believers, saved for more. Would we hear wisdom's call? So if you would, would you you bow with me and we will pray that God will refresh our hearts and draw us to his son.